You're listening to episode 398 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Venerov. Hello, Max. How are we? We had a little bit of a technical difficulty to start off the show, didn't we? Yeah, it's always those pesky computer settings, but uh, I, I figured it out, and now we can hear each other. <laughs> Which is really important when you're trying to do a podcast. It is. We have lots of topics tonight. Large autonomous cargo drones, drones noise research. I found that really interesting. Ford's idea for a vehicle inspection drone. The high-speed Vertol concept challenge. Identifying human trash on the beach. Identifying trash created by humans on the beach. That's just it. <laughs> just to be clear. Just to be clear. UAS in unregulated airspace. Western parts in a Russian drone. And the longest BV loss waiver issued by the FAA. So far. So I should we get started, Max? David, let's get started. This is from singularityhub.com. Drones as big as 747s will fly cargo around the world with low emissions, startup says. Natalus, N-A-T-I-L-U-S, has created a blended wing cargo design. Now, um, BLBs, we've talked about a lot on Airplane Geeks. They always seem to come around every two or three years, and then they disappear again. Nothing ever really happens with them. But here we've got a bladed wing design. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with the design, it kind of looks like a large manta ray, sort of that shape. And you're right, David, they keep being proposed as uh, commercial passenger transports. But one of the problems or one of the issues with carrying people in these things is uh, how do you arrange the seating? You've got a big auditorium-sized shaped sort of a space. And would you have really long rows, <laughs> lots and lots of middle seats? Lots of people like me grumpy because they didn't get a window. That's right, because a few windows relative to the number of seats. But that idea works perfectly for cargo. In fact, it may be a more efficient way to carry a lot of cargo than the uh, typical tube and wing kind of design. So uh, Natalis is proposing this design, this uh, blended wing cargo drone, and they say that it will allow uh, it to carry up to uh, 60% more cargo at lower cost, 60% lower cost, and with half of the carbon emissions. So, you know, we talk about large commercial aircraft going without pilots sitting in in the airplane. We talk about cargo frequently as being the first application. In the press relief, um, Natalis' CEO noted that moving freight by sea is 13 times cheaper than moving it by air. However... It takes 50 times as long, and having all sorts of difficulties and knowing that a lot of my stuff for the museum is sitting in boats off the shore of Los Angeles, clearly it's a time-consuming process, whereas maybe this will speed up the the delivery process. Um, They initially operate with oversight from remote pilots until regulations allow for full autonomy. You know, I... I don't mind them being remotely piloted, but autonomous vehicles of that size, that's one of those ones where I think I'm getting a little spooked by it. It is large. 
In fact, they they contemplate four models for this thing, ranging in size and and range, and that includes a 3.8 ton payload for short haul feeder use, a 60 ton payload, medium to long range UAV, and then a 100 ton and a 130 ton payload, long range UAV. So Nautilus has not been around that long, uh, founded in 2016. But interestingly enough, at least to me, they've announced already $6 billion worth of pre-orders. And that uh, is for over 440 of these aircraft. That's a lot of support from potential customers for a concept that's pretty unique and a company that's pretty new. Yeah, I agreed. But these days, cargo is everything. The one thing pandemic has done is it's changed aviation a little bit by going that there's got to be more car- a larger cargo fleet. And if they can even do half of what they say they they want will be able to do, it's amazing cost reductions as well as for speed. Um, there is a video we have, and we'll have it in the show notes, of their wind tunnel test back last year in 2021. And the the companies that uh, have announced advanced purchase commitments, it's a lot of companies that you've probably never heard of before. Volatis Aerospace, Aurora International, uh, Astral Aviation, Diamond, Flexport. They say some others will be announced. They're not major players. It's, there's no Boeings or Airbuses or anything of that sort in this uh, an initial commitment for over 440 aircraft. But, hey, this, I mean, this feels like a disruptor kind of a technology, and it'll be fascinating to see how they progress, which is pretty quickly because they uh, have conducted these wind tunnel tests, but they plan for a first flight of their full-scale prototype in 2023, next year. But, Max, in all fairness, this kind of aircraft has been around for years. NASA has flown technology demonstrators um, like I said, it it's always seems to be right on the cusp of going into production, but never seems to happen. So, I mean, the aerodynamics is sound. It's just a matter of making it fly by itself or remotely piloted and then scaling up the technology. So we'll see. I, I mean, what will be real interesting is if and when FedEx or UPS buy into it. The other part about it is... Like we talked about people and as a passenger aircraft, as a cargo aircraft, um, it's it will have a whole new infrastructure having to set up because I'm not sure normal airline containers will be able to work in this kind of environment. They'll have to be modified also to get optimal use of that space. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, I don't see anything about what propulsion system uh, they're planning on using for this. And that's, you know, there's a big commitment there. And if it's not something that's literally, quote, off the shelf, uh, that's a that's a long lead time kind of an item. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about this. I, I kind of hope they succeed because I've always liked the blended wing body. So, yeah, they look well, great. they're just a sexy airplane. So we'll see. Well, drowning out the sound of drones. This is what batteries and noise. I mean, those are the two big ones, right? Yeah. And this was from insidescience.com. 
Org. The European Union Aviation Safety Agency reported top three concerns for drones are safety, security, and noise. So University of Cincinnati's got an answer for them. They're studying aeroacoustics. And they're using an anechoic chamber. So they're placing microphones in this chamber. And then they're measuring uh, frequencies, wavelengths, and amplitude of sound in order to try to understand how drones can be made less noisy. What they've discovered is what is acceptable noise level? And that depends on where the people are, the time of day, and you, you would think that noise canceling could be thrown on airplanes, but unless you're wearing headphones, it just doesn't work. Yeah, the goal is an interesting aspect to this characterization of what's an acceptable noise. Uh, an example given is that you might not mind the noise if the drone is delivering a critical medical supply, but you might mind a lot if it's just a pizza delivery to your next door neighbor. So the context matters, which is interesting. You know, I was thinking of ambulances going down the street. Ambulance, you know, what's louder than an ambulance or a fire truck? Except there's a good reason for an ambulance or a fire truck to be making that much noise. Uh, similarly with drones, you know. Well, exactly. You know, and, and besides, medications usually are delivered during the day. Your neighbor's pizza is probably be, being delivered at 2.30 a.m. in the morning. So... <laughs> An ambulance is a short-term um, redshift noise. You know, it gets loud as it gets comes, and then it goes by you, you know. A drone delivery is more consistent. You'll hear it coming, and then it's going to still make the noise to do its delivery until it leaves. So there's a persistence to it, too. Right. Yeah. I think I think noise is a big, big aspect to this. And we, we talk about regulatory roadblocks and technology that needs to be developed. And, you know, in, in the end, a lot of this may come down to just how loud are these things. Max, you got to love a good patent. I put this in here for you because I know you're, I know that we haven't used the patented Max Flight patent disclaimer information in the last couple of months. So here we go with Ford. And this was from Fox News. Ford wants to hide spy drones in autonomous cars. You read that headline and you think, this can't possibly be a true story. So this is uh, a patent. Ford has a patent. And under this concept, a drone would be hidden somewhere inside the vehicle. In the trunk. They can say in the glove box, possibly. But, you know, why would you want to do that? Well, they want to hide them inside autonomous ride-hailing cars. And so they, well, they have a mission, a special mission for this hidden drone. The secret drone could inspect the vehicle for damage after the ride. Ford is co-owner of the Argo AI Autonomous Car Company. A ride-hailing service is being planned. It's a patent. Doesn't mean it'll ever come into being. Um, it's kind of creepy, though, that, you know, if it's a ride-sharing service, you are expect inspecting the car after you're done using it. Well, or Ford is inspe yeah, Ford is inspecting the car after it's done being used. It it would be like an you know an automated Avis or Hertz or some rental car company where the, you know nobody ever goes out and looks at the vehicle after it's returned by the by the driver to inspect for damage. So if you have an autonomous 
ride-hailing service where you go into the app, you say, I need a ride, and on its own, a vehicle shows up at your location, and off you go. That's great, but Ford or whoever is owning the vehicle wants to make sure that when you uh, complete your ride, you haven't trashed the inside or, I don't know, smashed into something or, or, or whatever, just caused some kind of damage. So the idea is that this drone would fly around and check the vehicle for damage. So, I mean, in one sense, it's, it's kind of um, ridiculous. Clever. <laughs> yeah, it's clever and it's ridiculous. It's both. And we may never see it come to light. Yeah, and or we'll see it in some the next James Bond movie. I mean that, that that's all I could think of when I read this was you know James Bond hitting the button and the drone goes out to spy on whoever he you know the spy that drones me. One of my favorite companies, and that's Jaunt Air Mobility. Jaunt Air Mobility attracts market research investment to advance U.S. Department of Defense high-speed vertical takeoff capabilities, and this was from Urban Air Mobility News. Um, a website I recommend you look at. It's it's a lot of been a lot of interesting stuff. The A F W E R X. Air Force Works. Air Force Works. That's what I thought that was. The high speed vertical takeoff and landing concept challenge. This is a cr- sort of a crowdsourcing effort for the United States Air Force and U.S. Special Operations Command. And Jaunt Air Mobility is one of the 11 companies that were selected from 200 applicants to research solutions that, as they say, enable optimal agility in harsh and difficult environments. You can read special operations into this. So what does this contract bring to the table? Well, Jaunt will develop two conceptual designs. The initial aircraft for the multi-mission air vehicle, or the MAV-55, features of a fixed-wing aircraft with a vertical takeoff. Now, um, Jaunt has been working on on a rotating wing, kind of like a autogyro. I mean, we ha- we actually have one of their prototype models at the museum, um, where it's a rotating wing, not necessarily a powered wing, and the thrust is done by engines. So. That's where the vertical takeoff and landing comes in. So why, Max, do we need these benefits? Well, I guess we're looking for um, several different features, several different characteristics. Uh, one is uh, to minimize the, the downwash for operations where the actual um, landing site is kind of unique and you want a quiet approach to the landing area. This this sounds a lot like a few a few um, special forces operations we've seen uh, in the last couple of years. One quite recently. Basically, you want to quietly auto rotate and get in behind the lines, and then take off after you've dropped your um, operators. So, the AFWorks Challenge is a high quality market research program that uses thinking workshops, crowdsourcing event and innovating contracting. So this is the Department of Defense trying to do things differently than the old program. And I think it sounds like it relies more on industry to come up with the creative solutions. Different than just selecting one prime contractor and you know having them manage a program. It seems like it involves many more many more parties, many more companies and you know that's a great way to get a real diversity of ideas and innovation. 
you know, Max, we had Charlie Bolden on Airplane Geeks the other day, and we were talking about civilian spaceflight and basically having the civilian sector work on spaceflight. This is kind of the same same kind of mentality, letting people use their own money to experiment it. And then as the Pride project comes alive, then you go in and you, the Department of Defense purchases it. So we talked about human debris all over the beaches, which wasn't exactly how my co-host really meant that to be. But this is from newatlas.com. AI-enabled drones will tell human teams where to find marine debris. There's a lot of junk floating around the ocean. Um, I believe there's something the size of a continent in the Pacific. And a bunch of that stuff washes up on shore. So researchers from Oregon State University, along with NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, started a research project in 2020, June 2020. And the idea is to use drones to identify human-made debris on the beach. There's artificial intelligence at work here. So what they're doing is taking videos uh, from well, from the ground and also from a Coast Guard helicopter using a special type of camera, a polarimetric camera, and then using machine learning algorithms to identify, classify objects that are not part of the natural environment. Which is really kind of cool. About, you know, we, we've talked about this before using drones like in wildlife studying. How do you how do you tell where the animal is in the trees? You have it learn. This is similar, you know. How do you tell the difference between a plastic straw and a piece of dried up seaweed? The objects um, reflect polarized light differently than natural objects. It's interesting that you you can use this to discriminate and be more efficient on the cleanup. And they've already tested this along the Oregon coast. It's a pretty simple concept is once the machine learning has happened, uh, the drone flies along the beach and observes using one of these polarimetric cameras to identify and say, hey, there's some there's some junk that needs to be picked up. There's some training planned for this summer. The NOAA Marine Debris Program staff are going to be trained this summer. And as far as floating marine debris, while researchers at the University of Barcelona have developed an AI-based system which allows drones to do that too. Um, I think we've talked about that a little bit in the past, about using drones to clean up ocean debris, you know, matter that's floating on the surface. They come along with their little paddles and, and scoop up the plastics, but you have to be able to identify what you're supposed to throw back and what you're supposed to keep. Hmm. Artificial intelligence, that's this year's buzzword, besides popcorn. That's a buzzword that I have to tell you about later. But popcorn meetings I learned about this week. You'll have to tell me. So anyway, Israel becomes the first country allowing drones to fly in civilian airspace. This was from um, EnglishNews.cn. The uh, CAA of Israel has given approval for a UAS to operate within civilian airspace. This is a major milestone, Max. This really is. Uh, typically, drones, and this is, a, this is a fairly large drone, typically drones are operating in some kind of segregated airspace, not mixed up with piloted flight. And this is the Elbit Hermes Starliner that's going to be uh, 
allowed to fly in this unsegregated airspace. Now, Elbit Systems is an Israeli defense electronics company, and they make a, a military Hermes uh, that this is based on. Uh, but it's pretty big, weighed about 1.6 tons, got a 17-meter wingspan, so this isn't a small quadcopter. It's capable of more than a 36-hour endurance altitude of 7,600 meters. So this is a pretty good-sized vehicle. It's about the size of a Predator. Um, it, it's that same class of medium-altitude, long-endurance vehicles. So what are they going to use it for? To bolster security and anti-terror operations, um, secure large public events, maritime search and rescue, commercial aviation environmental inspection, and precision agriculture work. But considering how dense the Israeli airspace is, this is quite an accomplishment for um, Ebbett to have this aircraft be able to fly in the manned airspace. I think this is a, a first, I, I believe, and I uh, can't wait to see how uh, quickly, this kind of this concept takes hold in other uh, countries. Uh, do you hear us, FAA? Uh. <laughs> so, you know, Max, we've been talking a lot about DJI here in the United States and its components and the spying, um, etc. And the U.S. federal government doesn't want to use that company's um, vehicles because of its. Uh, familiarization and data management and the alleged, alleged that it goes to the Chinese um, government. I was really sort of surprised at this story coming out, given that thing, which was, this is from the WashingtonPost.com. A Russian surveillance drone was shot down in 2017 when Ukrainian forces were fighting it, but it had American components in it. And not just that, but... Uh when they cracked this drone open, they found some really interesting stuff inside. Uh, they found that uh, the the engine, the propulsion, had come from Germany. used a German-made engine. The navigation and communication chips were made by U.S. companies. Now, again, this is inside a Russian drone. The motion-sensing chip was from a British company. And there were other components in there from Switzerland and South Korea. I really wasn't aware of this, but it turns out that Russia doesn't have much of a um, internal chip-making capability. And this applies to consumer goods, you know, as well as, in this case, military goods. They bring this stuff in from outside. I think this was kind of surprising to many people. The application is they, they're actually contemplating banning these chips from being sent to Russia, exported to Russia. It, it was just sort of a, a something you just don't think of that you would think that a military drone would operate on all sorts of Russian electronics. And here we have Western electronics dominating the, the airframe that was built by Russia. So very interesting story. Um, definitely check that one out. As far as the, uh, you know, banning the the export of these kind of components to Russia, uh, you know, first you might think, well, but lots of companies make chips. And uh, even, even countries like China that might be a little more friendly to Russia. But most of the chip manufacturing processes use U.S. technology. And so that gives the U.S. the leverage 
to say to the chip manufacturers, you can't export this to Russia if they wanted to. In other words, they have that power to do that. Uh, so, you know, a ban could be effective. This, this could be a, a, you know, a really interesting player in this whole... Ukraine situation. Yes, yes. So, that, but we'll see. But the other part of it is, and this is noted in the, in the article, is that in terms of these military applications, this is not mass-produced stuff. The Russians are not mass-producing these drones. It's, they're being produced in relatively small numbers. So while a, uh, an embargo on these kind of components could be effective, if you're just looking for them in small quantities, you can almost always find somebody willing to sell at the right price you know, a few here and a few there. So even an embargo may not be that effective uh, in keeping this stuff out of Russian hands. It was definitely one of those surprising stories. That you sort of go, oh, really? Okay. I didn't ever expect that. So BV loss waivers. The census and Soaring Eagle Technologies got the FAA approval for the longest waiver so far for BV loss. 12 miles to inspect power lines. So uh, these two companies, Census, C-E-N-S-U-S, Census Technologies Corporation, they build remote sensing solutions for UAS service providers, um, but others as well, enterprise organizations, government entities. And then Soaring Eagle Technologies is uh, a company focused on structure inspections and aerial mapping. And the two of them are using Cassia which is the detect and avoid system from Iris Automation. And they've been working with the FAA on this for the past three years. So, I mean, that's part of this process to get the waiver because you're, you're trying to demonstrate to the FAA that what you're proposing is safe. And so working together with the FAA is probably more beneficial than going off and designing your your plans in a cave and then coming out and saying, hey, look at this. This is great. So they've been working with the FAA for some three years. 12 miles doesn't seem like it's a long distance, but for beyond visual line of sight, that they can assure the FAA that they're comfortable with a 12-mile 12 12 away operation is really well. Now, granted, the military does global operations, you know, so it can be done easily with the technology, but working in the airspace and everything, the FAA is cautious, and, and but definitely this is a step in the right direction. So, Max, we had the Super Bowl. The wrong team won. Um, <laughs> but instead of fireworks, there was a Super Bowl halftime show with 500 drones. This is our video of the week, and it comes from CBS in Los Angeles. And so, yeah, there was a, a pretty nice drone show. The, uh, the precision of the, of the drones I thought was pretty impressive watching the video. So we'll have a link to that CBS Los Angeles article, which has the video in it. But we'll also have the video itself straight in the show notes so you can watch it there. The, the other part about this video, because there was a lot of people who had video of this. If you just Google Super Bowl drone, um, one of the interesting things about this was it was shot from a drone to get different angles of the drones operate. So it, there's a three-dimensionality to it that, that you don't normally get to see. The other part about it, Max, was it didn't feel sped up. It felt 
like it was a more methodical, you know, we have talked about in the past about the videos being sped up, but this seemed like it was well paced and it wasn't sped up for the video as well as it, as you know, it, it went through as, as it appeared. Yeah. I thought it had kind of an ele- almost an elegance to it. It's precision rotation. I thought it was pretty cool. So we got some feedback, Max. Built-in intelligence comes to small pilotless fixed-wing planes. This was a press release from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, in giuser.com. The point that they that they make here is that the typical commercial controllers for drones that you see, they work really well for simple flight paths. But when you get into something complex, particularly if you've got environmental factors like high winds and things, uh, that can be more difficult to to handle and the, the drone can go off course and crash. So, so researchers at the University of Colorado Boulder have been developing this onboard guidance algorithm for precision path following. And I guess they're using um, greater processing power so that it's somewhat predictive so it can look ahead in the environment in other words, it being the, the controller, the software and in, in hardware on the drone can look ahead and anticipate the need to react to changing conditions. Um, and it's a small fixed wing aircraft that they're using because you've scaled down the aircraft. It's susceptible to the same adverse conditions that a normal aircraft is considered. And they're developing the technology that um, for custom firmware software and um, robotics to enhance the flight characteristics of the aircraft as well as the controllers. And they've been uh, flying this in in some test flights and have demonstrated that this controller allows an autonomous drone to adjust to the disturbances, modulate its airspeed, um, while it's following a pretty complex path that it was faster and more accurate than a commercial guidance controller. The type of technology they're using here, it's a nonlinear numerical model for predictive control. So we'll leave that to the reader, to the listener to uh, investigate just exactly what that means. But there's a fun quote in here. It says, the drone is able to look ahead and answer the question, what do I need to do in the next five seconds to maintain this path? Pretty spectacular stuff. So, Max, I think we should wrap this up. What do you think? All right. Thank you for listening to the UAV Digest. You can find show notes for this episode at the UAVdigest.com. I'll have links to the news stories, to the videos, to the companies we talk about. Lots of uh, good uh, stuff to start off your uh, follow-up on some of these stories, if you wish. And, of course, you can find us on social media. If After you've done the follow-up, you can want to chat with us and, and talk out some of these stories. You can do that through our Slack listener team. And you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com, and we'll send you an invite. Likewise, you can find Max and I on UAV Digest Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, if you can spell flight or Vanderhoof, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. So, oh, one last thing. If you are interested, email us. Um, we're, I am offering a special offer to our listeners If you are interested in becoming a member of the American Helicopter Museum, and we'd love to have some more UAV participation in the museum, Um, rotary wing UAV is a big deal. We'll have a link in the show notes. 
Um, we're offering a year membership, which is normally fifty dollars for twenty-five or fifty percent off, and that will entice you to all the member benefits and will um, allow you to come to our opening night benefit on the fourth, which is a lecture on helicopters and the presidency. Um, we'll have a Marine One pilot as well as the curator, um, who is a drone fanatic of the uh, rotary wing collection at the Smithsonian Institution. So if you're thinking about wanting to um, participate in more rotary wing stuff, give us a look at AmericanHelicopter.museum. We'll have more information, more specifics about about this offer and uh, a link to uh, where you can take advantage of it. And it's a great it's a great deal and it's a great way to support the museum. So, Max, off for another week. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And this is David. And this is Max. Have a good week. <laughs>